Are we hello, on? hello, hello, and we're live. That was a very smooth. It was, yeah, it's very radio voice. Hello, my name is Aaron Bjorkland. Now, I am sitting in Aaron Bjorkland's chair today. Like, I usually sit the other side and I'm deeply uncomfortable. I am disgusted. The subject from the next week about That's this right. chair or about this arrangement. I feel like well, my and, better side is the other side. And um, you may not fully know this because this, this fixture is similar to the uh-huh. background, except for it's not been organized. And there's no door. In any way, shape, or form. But I'm in a new space. Yeah, we have a new staff person and starting. Aaron, if you're paying ones. attention closely, you can see... It's a complete mess. Like, mm. I wish I could flip the camera around for you right now yeah. and see that we've got our microphones are attached to this bouncy chair right now. We're just surviving. And, and if we bump it too much, it might fall over. Yeah. It's, and... it's putting us in fight or flight response. Oh, um, I see what you did Because we're like, there. we're talking this week about fear. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I, so I had a starting question for us uh, jumping into that on a, on a sort of lighter way. Do you like being scared? I mean, no. do you, you don't. You're not like I'm so not, not a horror, horror movie. I'm not a horror guy. movie guy. One time, Allison and I were looking for like cool date ideas. It's shocking how many on all of the lists of cool date ideas. It's like watch a horror movie and snuggle up with uh-huh. your loved one. And I'm like, yeah. uh, no. Yeah. But all of the lists have that. Uh huh. I I do you and, like and, it. Well, I I I like it more than my wife likes it. Yeah. So she hates anything that's horror. Laura hates anything that's horror. It hates anything that's um, like thrillerish. She won't watch Jaws. And since she watched a movie about sharks as a kid, she now, I always joke, every time she gets into the ocean, um, and we go to the ocean every year with my family back in England, and sharks hate the cold water around England. Let me just say this. There's like one sighting of a dangerous shark ever. In those waters and she puts her foot in the water and every like time she does it she's like every shark in a hundred miles is like ooh, that smells good <laughs> they're like flying <laughs> flying oh, swimming fast in that direction so she likes it less than i do um i, I can handle it but I-, I was always intrigued when i was in michigan a load of my friends there's, there's a couple of really famous haunted houses in michigan and it's like those ones where you have to sign disclaimers or you have to sign like releases of liability and, and people like, you know, grab at you and pull you into rooms. I mean, it's really intense. Wow. Uh, and I've just, I was always just intrigued that people wanted to do that. I was like, what, why do you want to do that? And again, like it's something about the adrenaline rush. Do you like roller coasters? Uh, I've enjoyed a roller coaster in my day. Uh, I, it's not like I... Yeah, I mean, the reason yeah. I ask is I've watched you snowboard and, and and you, again, like different perspectives for different people on snowboarding and mm-hmm. and, and we, Aaron and I went snowboarding and uh, and he hadn't been for like 12 years. So when we got there and, and you had this moment where you're like, why is everybody wearing helmets? And I was like, oh, welcome to like the last 10 years. Everybody wears a helmet. And the last time you'd been... I hope my like, wife isn't watching this again. Like every single week you say something, you're like, Aaron didn't wear a helmet. Wow. I didn't know that no, you hadn't discussed joking. that. <laughs> I'm just um, joking. <laughs> it's not like you're on a motorbike, but but you were one of the few people on a mountain without a helmet. Uh, and you, 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 you are bigger than me. You're like six foot four or whatever. So you get some speed up, man. I'm like watching you and I'm like, wow. Yeah, heavy things fall fast. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> there are obviously, I, I was listening to, and we talked a little bit about this climber, Alex Hanold, uh, this week, who climbs these crazy things. 
and and he said like he loves skiing and he said what i love is just skiing really fast down really steep stuff there's some adrenaline that kicks in so obviously fight and flight this this process we go to into where our brain reacts it gives that adrenaline rush and some people it seems love creating that just in everyday life yeah, I keep having to come up here because my microphone's uh, just too far away, and I'm not sure. I'm, like, afraid if I pull it all the way out. I think you're going to be fine. Oh. Look at that. Oh, gosh, I wish you guys could see how precarious this whole entire it's, setup is. It's, it's, it's going to be a viral moment if it all collapses on top of us. We're, like, lying That's there. Right. It's live. Just, ah. Yeah, there's trash everywhere. Anyway, all right, um, welcome to my office, but I, I've got to get my head off of that. Yeah, you do. We're going to be fine. get to fear. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, I, yeah, that's interesting. Like that feeling of addiction. It's like an addiction to adrenaline. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely a, a category of people that are like that. Three of my uncles were involved in motor motorcycling, so one of them was a um, was a designer. He designed the first suspension forks. If you ride a motorbike, and you oh, don't, it's ended. Oh wow! Well, that was fun. Are we not live? I don't know. We were live for a while. Are we live? Did I do something wrong? Maybe we are live. Maybe we aren't. We don't even know anymore. I'm just going to keep talking. You never let dead air like, no, the go. Show must, that's, yeah. The show must go you on. Just keep talking and fill the Pretending space. Pretending like we know what we're doing. I'm just going to start quoting opening lines from books just to keep us. No, we're like, we're live. That's weird. It was like. I saw fear in your eyes. I saw a fight and flight response. You were like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I just started fighting you. <laughs> fighting you. The only thing I could see close by to fight. <laughs> that's, that's, like a, that's a double distortion when your fight or, fight or flight response is not functioning properly, mm. which, is, which is something that causes a lot of unhealth. It, it does, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then if you also can't decide which one to do, to fight or to flight. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a, yeah. Just randomly fight you, you would, just because I, I got I would, scared. You would win. You're much bigger than me. Um, although I might be faster. Who knows? Um, I could run. I am um, super slow. I was going to use that classic joke on uh, on Sunday, and I completely missed it. It was somewhere in my notes that I'd put together beforehand. Uh, or notes is maybe too strong. My thoughts that I put together beforehand. But the, there's the story about the guy, the, the two guys walking in the woods, and they see a bear coming. Uh, and the one guy starts to take off his shoes. And the guy's like, why are you taking off your shoes? And he's like, I run faster w without my shoes on. And the, the second guy's like, yeah, but you're still not going to outrun a bear. They're super fast. And the guy's like, oh, no, I don't care about the bear. I only have to outrun you. Uh, like, I outrun you. The bear gets you. He's occupied for a while. I'm fine. Um, so maybe I'm faster. I don't know. Probably. Um, anyway, I was, talking about, I was talking about my uncles. And they, they, I think there's a fear sense or addiction maybe somewhere in my family what my one uncle used to design motorbikes so again like if you have suspension forks on your motorbike uh you have him to thank for that he invented those which is pretty cool like seriously yeah, yeah he did yeah for wow. aerial motors back in like the 40s 1940s um and then my other uncle was uh, an engineer and they both lived like long and healthy lives you'll go over to the house they were still bachelors and They'd be, they'd be just like in the living room, no TV, just a radio. And you go, there'd be a coffee table, there'd just be an engine block just sat on the table, like oil coming off it, just tinkering away, listening to the radio. And then the other uncle, the younger brother, was a, a racer. 
Um, and he actually got killed in a Grand Prix. Like he was one of those, like, I mean, years ago now. So crashed into a tree and just, you know, just gone. But, but that wow. like motorbike culture is somewhere in the family. So I would in some ways love to ride motorbikes. But interestingly, I'm, my wife was like, no, no motorbikes. So, she, so, so there is her fear for me, which is a different type of fear, right? I, I mean, it's like, there's the fear of what can happen to me in a moment that maybe this is where we like talk about that fear and anxiety thing, which is maybe some of the feelings some of you guys out there have is like fear in that moment, fight or flight. That's one type of fear. The preparation, the imagination of fear in the future is a very different thing. Now, would you say that's anxiety? That, that's what I'm like. That's what I'm sort of wondering, really, as we sort of like turn that corner. Like, isn't that what we're talking about? That constant feeling that something might happen. La last night, my daughter couldn't sleep. She's ten, and she was like, "I, I, I can't get to sleep. Um, will you come lie in my room with me?" And I went and lay in there for a little bit, um, like hard floor, freezing cold. And she's like, "No, I still can't sleep." And my only solution in that moment was like, well, "Do you want to go downstairs and watch?" a show thinking she'd say no because she wouldn't want to be downstairs by herself. But she actually said yes. And I went back to bed and then lay there in bed with, with some kind of anxiety about her being downstairs by herself in the middle of the night. Even though the house is locked, like I'm like, it's consciously I'm like, it's perfectly safe. But it was a new experience. I hadn't been in that space before. And again, if you've got teenagers out there, um, or have older kids. You've been there. Like, you've been to the point. I used to stay up watching movies till 3 o'clock in the morning when I was 14, 15. But again, at 10, this was a new thing. And it put me in that space of imagining all of these things that could happen. Yeah. Even though I'm only 20 stairs up or something like that. Like, it just... Yeah. It's different when you're thinking about somebody else. Yeah, so... Um, one of the things that I... That you talked about on Sunday that I think is important to, like bring up again as a reminder and stuff is you talked about fear being sort of a core thing. Mm. So expound upon that again. Like I don't exactly remember the exact words you used, but it was, it's sort of underneath a lot of other emotions. Yeah. So, so, so it was, and it was a psychologist's point of view, which seems to have some basis of the, the two core emotions of fear and love. And interestingly, she would say, and, Interestingly, you might argue that the writers of scripture would say um, you can't be in fear and love at the same time. Hmm. Um, so, yes, an emotion like a, a, a broader emotion either comes out of love or it comes out of fear. Like sadness, she would say, is just the next step from fear, fear of death, fear of loss, fear of abandonment. There's something behind sadness that isn't just sadness. It's like, it's questions about what's going to happen. Um, it's sadness might be like a, a fear of the new normal. Yeah. Almost always when you think about something you're sad about, you can place a fear next to it. And, and that might be the thing that made you sad. So, so if I think like, you know, uh, what, what was... You know, what, what was the last thing I was sad about? Maybe I'm sad about, um, maybe I, like in the past, like if I lost a job or something, I might be sad that I lost my job. But really, why am I sad? Like suddenly I don't mm. have to go to work anymore. That's actually quite nice. 
um, suddenly I've got no responsibilities. I'm just going to sit around doing nothing. In actual fact, like I'm actually fearful that I won't have enough financial resources to live. Or maybe I really loved the job and I lost the job and I'm now sad. Well, why am I sad? Well, I fear that I'm not going to be able to get a job that's as good as that one. I fear that I'll have to take a job I don't like. I'm fearful, uh, like my identity's challenged, all those different things. People will think less of me. Again, sadness is definitely there, but somewhere working underneath it. No, it's it's fear or anxiety that says. Yeah, and I know for me, one of the emotions that sort of manifests itself in my life most obviously is maybe anger. Mm. But it took me years of my life to start to realize that it's actually fear. Mm. And my way of dealing with fear, again, this fight or flight thing is fight. Yeah. And it's sort of like um, either shout or grit my teeth or, you know, pound my fist or uh -huh. whatever it may be. It It's sort of like my way of trying to re retake control over yes. of a moment well, you see that, that I'm afraid of. You see that like in, again, like most of you that are parents or have been parents, there's that moment where your child runs out into the road and you go and grab them out of the road. And then what do you do very naturally? You just light them up. You're just like, what are you doing? I'm so angry. I'm just, and you maybe you yell, maybe depending on the generation, it's like a physical punishment. But again, it's not anger. It's definitely fear. It's you have been put in this moment of imagining what if the worst could have happened? Totally. Um, and depending on your personality, maybe it manifests not as sadness, as sadness rather than anger. One time when we were in New York, we were at some friend's house and the house was on the top of a hill. The driveway went down to this main road and Gigi and Elena were with the kids that lived in the house. They were riding around uh, the building over and over again. Uh, and they were told, don't go down the driveway. But one of the kids that lived in the house said to Gigi, no, we should ride down the driveway. And she'd done it multiple times when she shouldn't have. She was fine. Gigi lost control of the bike. And I just heard this scream and then this crash. And I ran around the corner and she was lying next to the road, like a foot from the road. And a car was like pulled up like right by her. And she just managed to like fall off the bike right before she hit the road. This was a main road. People flew along this thing at like 60 miles an hour. Um, and, and so for me, my reaction was just the sadness of imagining what life without her would have looked like. Um, that's where my thoughts went. And what's crazy about that response is you probably didn't consciously imagine her entire life. No. But There's like this instantaneous, the, uh -huh. the, like the fight or flight response is this massive surge mm -hmm. of uh in into your body to prepare you for the worst and then so like so you feel this emotion of sadness mm -hmm. which is like she's important to me uh -huh. i'm i want to protect it then converts to fight or flight protectiveness and anger and whatever it may be it's like that happens like that and, and it's so crazy and that, that's why i think Fear and anxiety are such an interesting pair for us to talk about. Because mm -hmm. I think we could do some work around fear. We, we could say, you know, I recognize in my life this is where 
the fight or flight response of fear gets me and you said it manifests as anger like and and you maybe get to say no i'm gonna try and be more conscious and ready for those moments and not respond in anger that's that's healthy growth but like i think most of us were not in that place as much as we are in the place of anxiety which is again like the, the language that really really was helpful for me was or a couple of pieces actually one was like fight or flight fear is what happens when a, a bear jumps out at you as you walk through the woods it's a it's a thing that you have to react um anxiety is starting the walk and spending the whole time expecting a bear to jump out of the woods like just sitting in that place of consciously like where's the bear where's the bear where's the bear where's the bear that's a better picture of anxiety yeah um, i had i had that moment uh yesterday actually so i, I took a two-day silent retreat at this amazing little retreat center um just well it's like one night and I was just trying to refresh and replenish and, and all that sort of and thing. And I gave you a hard time initially because I thought you were just going because you were preaching this week, which yeah. you are, which is super exciting. But I was like, dude, if I went away for two days every time I preached, I'd never be here. Like, That's right. On the other hand, if I was up to worship this week, I'd be in a car driving somewhere else. Like, <laughs> I'd, just, I'd just be getting out of here. So I do, I do admit, so I tried to spend the majority of the first day just connecting with God and not working on my sermon or anything like that. But then it's, it wasn't quite the same retreat yeah, knowing that okay, I had a yeah. sermon looming over my head. Looming um, is such a great word for a sermon. It looms. It's looming. And, and now it's going to loom over all of your heads that's on Sunday. Right, that's right. Um, anyway, so the, yesterday morning I got up before sunrise and I was going to take a, a walk before sunrise. And, and you guys, if you're from Colorado, you know, it was pretty cold and really, really windy. Mm. All I had was a hoodie and I'm like, a, I have a pretty high internal core temperature, so I was fine. I was like, I throw on my long sleeve shirt and my hoodie, and I went for this walk. And you walk out, it's in Sedalia, and you just walk out into these like rolling hills, and you wow. can walk for, it's about a two-mile loop. And I decided to do the full two-mile loop before breakfast. And it was cold enough that my ears were starting to get cold, so I actually flipped up my hoodie and I sort of tied it down. So it was just like, you know, like like this much because it kept blowing off and all this stuff. Anyway, um, and then I halfway through the walk, I realized like it's really windy and I can't hear much. Hmm. And I hadn't seen a deer in a while. And there's normally wow. hundreds of deer all over the place on this on this grounds. And then I had this this moment where I realized uh the last time I'd visited this place, I'd been walking and I'd found a deer carcass huh. way back in one of the hit sort of hidden paths uh, just off the path. And I was like, I bet that there's mountain lions yes. up here. And so I was like, okay, there's, that's fine. I haven't, I haven't seen a deer. And then, but then the rest of that walk, I'm kind of like, I'm like in this thing. So I can't see super well. I can't hear cause it's windy. And I'm kind of like, I'm not in a great position here no. to, uh, to to notice if I'm being attacked by yeah. a mountain lion. And then I started thinking about that that guy who a couple years ago in Colorado was running and got attacked by a mountain lion and killed this mountain lion with his bare hands. What? And I was like, that's oh. going to be me. I'm like, could I, Anger, do, could I do that? I and so I'm like, like amped up. And I'm like, I'm trying to spend time with Jesus. He, meanwhile, I'm like getting myself amped up to try and attack a mountain lion. Jesus loves mountain lions too. <laughs> Would not kill like, it. 
<laughs> I was like, you know, I would just gently, you know, put it to sleep by choking it or something. Like that's yeah, that's how I would, that's how strong I think yeah, I am. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Just no. choke it to sleep. <laughs> We should have a whole session on would Jesus be a hunter if he lived today? Oh, man. Does Jesus, yeah, does Jesus, into, that's, man. there might be some debates in the comments below about yeah. that particular one. Yeah, that would be interesting, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, do, I do think it's anxiety where we land more often. Um, that conscious feeling that something's going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. um, that, and again, like some of that is, is, whether it's a, like a parenting instinct, like someone said to me when I became a parent, becoming a parent is signing up to be worried for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> and it only gets worse. Um, at least when the six months old, you have some control, but you know, it gets harder and harder. Um, so I do think there is like multiple ways that we experience anxiety regularly. So, um, yeah. And this, this fight or flight response there's like um, your it, your body's designed to have that. Mm -hmm. You you talked about that, but there's all these studies that talk about the damaging effects of um, a, an overly active fight or huh. fight or flight response. Like maybe if you, if you find yourself in a relationship that you fight a lot, um, or you. Uh, you're angry with someone a lot and there's just sort of a hostility around this and you sort of live in this space mm. of fight or flight it literally it's it affects it, your your brain is not designed by god to live in a space like that mm. there's whole um actually there's some counselors in our community who their job is to work with with kids who who basically live in fight or flight their whole wow. life. Wow. And, and, and it's a, damaging to their brains. It's damaging to their relationships. It's damaging to their ability to absorb information and learn and grow and all of these sorts of things. There's just, it's just, it's not a space that we're designed no, to No, and even like just to give more information on that, I, I, I've talked about this before. I didn't really talk about it this week as much, but the opposite of fight and flight is rest and digest. So when you go into fight and flight, as I understand it, and there's probably people out there that understand it better, but but your whole body it essentially shuts down systems that aren't helpful to running away from stuff. So you can't digest food well when you're in fight or flight response. Like there's multiple systems that you need that are really important. Yes. And you can't do those things. So shout out to your wife. Uh -huh. Alison and I yeah, are yeah, going. Yeah, uh, so classes. well, tell, tell us about what your wife does. So my I don't wife know what teaches birthing classes. And then so, again, this is like a classic husband wife thing, right? When I was doing a sermon, you know, probably two, three years ago, <laughs> in, incorporating some stuff on fight and fly and um, some of these systems. I was like, you know, let me tell you about these body systems. And she looks at me with this look that only, like why is reserved specifically for husbands? And she's <laughs> like, you realize like, this is what I do as a, uh, for a living. Like for, as a job, I teach people this stuff. Um, and you're telling me like it's new information to me. I'm like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm very aware. So she teaches birthing classes that really like land on the idea that birth happens best when we're relaxed. Not when I'm relaxed because I don't give birth, but but for women, birth lands. It, it happens best when there's there's relaxation involved, and, and allowing your body to do what it's made to do, and the and the tension that you're almost taught 
to live into today, like the fear that is built up around it actually makes it harder and harder. Um, and more painful. Yeah. Yeah. So like the whole thing, like we were learning last night and I was just thinking about your sermon uh-huh. and then, and then your wife, then a couple of days later, we're in this class and she's reiterating like. She stole my sermon. The, that's right. <laughs> it was good, man. It was good. Yeah. She, she did a good job. So um, anyway, so she was, she was just talking about a lot of this pain that women experience in childbirth just has to do with the fact that they're in fight or flight yeah, yeah. because they're in all of culture, mm-hmm. most of history, what you see in Hollywood has yeah. trained you to be petrified Absolutely. of this moment. Yeah. And then so you come in and you're just like, you're in fight or flight, your body's shutting down, you're ready to fight a, uh-huh. an animal. And then you're supposed to also like drop a baby. Right Absolutely. Then? Yeah. And, and actually like there's all these different things, like without getting too much into it in different parts of the world. Um, that we would say were less developed, they actually do things better. So there's plenty of stories about women working in fields, going into a dark corner of a room, giving birth to a baby, strapping it to them, and then carrying on working. Uh, and we do the whole thing, or we used to at least, with like, you know, you're in a uh, an operating theater, essentially. Like, when does anything good happen there? You're hooked uh, up to all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, hooked up to all stuff. You've like got these beeping, bright lights, bright lights like, beeping stuff. Um, yeah, be relaxed. Totally yeah, yeah, chill just, out in yeah. this environment where people like come when they're super, super sick. And, yeah, exactly. It's so it's it's a bit of a nonsense. Let me just say this: my wife would be so proud of the fact that we're sitting here talking about birthing. On this Although podcast. I was just wondering how long are, can you and I talk about birthing before it's just totally inappropriate for two guys to yeah, be yeah, sitting just, here talking just, about? We just got uh, at some point opt out and say I don't know. <laughs> Um, but the, it's but the same they, stuff. It yeah. is the same stuff. It's it's fight and it's flight and it's um, it's learning to manage that response and realize that like just because it's there and it is important and it does it's a life preserving thing doesn't mean you just get to let it control everything. And and that goes back to that overall thing. I think we started off with with the question around emotions, with the idea like emotions are great at some things but they don't belong in the driver's seat. Um, they, they don't, you can't put them in the trunk of the car. You can't put them in the driver's seat. You have to learn to deal with them. But we tend to do one or the other. Like a lot of us, especially guys, tend to relegate them to like the back. I'm never afraid. I don't do fear. I'm not scared of anything. Um, or we, we let them drive. No, I'm scared of everything. And there's always something around the corner to be terrified of. Um, yeah, I'm never afraid. I just get angry. Well, yeah. what's underneath that anger? <laughs> well, you know, I just don't want people to think I'm an idiot. Yeah. So you're scared of people thinking you're an idiot. Yes. Oh, so you do get afraid. And I think, I know for me, I kind of joke about this. Like, I was like emotionally flatlined until I turned 18. Uh-huh. And then I woke up and was like, oh, there's other human beings here. Yeah. And they care about things and they want it. So, and th- so there was a little bit of maturity that took place somehow at, at that age. And then when, when I was around 25, I started to realize that I w- didn't have only two emotions, angry and happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started to be able to subdivide that. And I think that being able to subdivide and get pinpoint the underlying emotions is a significant, if not the definition of maturity yeah. as a human being. And so if if you just think, oh yeah, I just, I'm either happy or angry, then maybe you have some journeys to take in in maturing as a, as a human being. And there's that whole part of your brain that is designed to look at that question and say, is this a good emotion, a reasonable emotion? 
um, especially with fear, that, that prefrontal cortex's job of saying, is there anything to be afraid of? To go back to the ocean, I was never scared of sharks growing up. Um, and, and the reason I was never scared of sharks is I just knew that in actual fact, like when you're swimming in the ocean, especially in a place like England, sharks are the last thing you need to be scared of. There's so many other things to be scared of, uh, mainly the fact that you're in this huge body of water that is way stronger than you, that is uncontrollable. Um, and that in itself is, is far and you went more looking for waves yeah. in the process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that in itself is far more of a reason to be afraid. Like being able to look at our fear and say, is this a reasonable thing to be afraid of is actually a good process to learn. Um, and we all have to do that. How you do that with anxiety when you're constantly expecting something to come up, that's, I think, a bigger challenge for us. Like how we, mm. how we learn to deal with that, that, that constant feeling that something could go wrong. Um, I don't know how, we, I don't know that that's as easy for most of us. Um, that suspicion that there's something lurking around the next corner or the next corner. Yeah, and I think this is where, you know, reaching out to a professional who can help teach you some practices to, to do that is is super super helpful mm. and like you've said all throughout the series and I'll, I'll admit like I'm not trained in that mm. but um, there's like there is a hope because just like like anxiety is almost like a well-worn path of fear mm-hmm. mm, yeah and you, you just sort of like if you think about I love that picture yeah a path that like is just dirt because it's been walked on so many times mm. that's actually how neural pathways work in our mm. brains is we we respond in a similar way over and over and over again and it's almost easier for your brain to then continue to respond to that which then starts to eventually manifest mm. into anxiety if i'm saying that wrong or explaining it <laughs> correctly feel free you. to reach yeah, out and explain like, well um, just let me tell you much this. much better but um so part of the process of finding healing over anxiety or a uh, constant propensity towards fear is learning how to practice certain things um so that you create new well-worn paths you this well-worn path like that may sound like discouraging because you're like, yeah, it's it's just deeply wired into mm-hmm. my brain. Well, that can work in your favor Absolutely, also. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can create a new well-worn path, which is which is the way of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, mm-hmm. gentleness, self-control. Those could be well-worn paths. Mm-hmm. And then your body, your very physiology is actually assisting you in living in the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because it's a well-worn path. You it. actually like start to do the right thing or feel the right emotions by habit, yes. not just by calculation. So we talked a little bit on Sunday about the idea that in some ways, the fact that the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything <laughs> yeah. for the right person. is like, no, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm now going to be more anxious. <laughs> Everyone but chuckled at that Theoretically, the Bible says, like it says like 365 times, I believe one person counted, do not fear. And people are always like, it says it once for every day. So go out and do not be afraid. And and then we look at it and we're like, okay, this feels a little bit more complex than that. So mm. what is a healthy reading of do not be anxious about anything? Because mm. that that's like that seems to me like again, this is something that Paul's like he speaks to this church who have a load of societal issues they're dealing with. It's not like they're living easy. They've got political pressures like we have. They've got 
poverty. They've got all of these different things they're struggling with. And still Paul says to them, not only be joyful, now be an- don't be anxious. Like, what, what do we take away from that if it's not just go and work harder to not be anxious? Gosh, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. I think that there's a lot of things like that in Scripture. We talked about that in the Lord's, yeah. in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. There's all these, like, seemingly impossible commands mm. or invitations. I like to, I, I love to think about the, the commands of Scripture as invitations yes. to, to fullness yeah. and life. Yeah, and I, I think that it's supposed to mess with you. Like, seriously, how am I supposed to do that? Mm. And then it's supposed to, it's an invitation to a, a, a journey. It's not like you just flip a switch, but it's an invitation mm. to a, a lifelong journey of figuring out how to live a life. Yeah. What, what elements do I need to include in my life where I eventually become the kind of person that is just less anxious yeah. all the time? So I, I think, like, to me, the intriguing thing with that specific passage is I, I think I completely agree. And, and you're, like, I, I would almost rewrite it as choose to move away from anxiety. Choose to, to make good decisions that move you away from anxiety. And then when you look around that, well, what are some of those things? Like, for at first, the, the line before is the Lord is near. Um, Jesus is present is uh, maybe a way we would say that when Elena was struggling to sleep, uh, I, I lay on the floor for a while and she said, daddy, I still can't sleep. And I said, what is there to be afraid of? I'm here with you. And she said, actually to, to give her, she said, Oh, I'm not afraid. I know that you're here, but I just can't stop thinking about this thing. I, I just can't stop treading the pathway that I've trod for the last however long. What do I do about that? Uh, and, and, and it seems like the next part of that passage is, um, well, in everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests be known to God. Like, it seems that Paul's answer to anxiety is a conversation with God, <laughs> as simplistic as that might seem. Yeah. But, but it is an important part of that process. Um, and this is actually, if you've, if you've ever... I mean, I don't know if you know this, but one of the values that we've had here at South for the last however many years is practice. Yeah. And the reason we value that and the reason we talk about spiritual practices is because it's spiritual practices aren't magical. Yeah. They're mechanisms for rewiring mm-hmm. our bodies, our minds, and our souls into the way of Jesus. Yeah. Whenever you say practice, I always think of Alan Iverson's like famous, like he does this interview where he gets asked about something about practice and it's just like practice. We're talking about practice. But actually the the weird thing about that whole interview is Alan Iverson absolutely knows how important practice is. Like there is no game without that constant practice. Um, like So in every field, we see that with like sports people, we watch people play and we're like, I wish I could do that. And we, uh, we miss or skip over, especially I noticed teenagers that have these dreams do this. They skip over the years and years of practice that enable that kind of performance. Yeah. Uh, and and, and it's, it's just as true in spiritual disciplines. It's not that God loves us more when we do them. We are learning behaviors that totally. help us to follow Jesus better. Yeah, I mean, the way of Jesus is just really, really good brain science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, just yeah, is. Yeah, like, and so it's weird. kind of been awesome. Like, I remember there was this one year, for some reason, I was like reading all these discipleship books and just eating them up. But I also was reading all these neuroscience books. Mm. And it was it was awesome because I was like, 
Jesus has been teaching good brain science for like yeah, ages he, and ages, and now all the, good brain science exactly. And now all these there's all these like um, neuroscientists yeah. who are saying, oh, like it's really good to do this and really yeah, good to do this. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. This is it. But that's yeah. that's what spiritual practices are. And so going back to the question that or the conversation you had with your daughter and all those sorts of things, like this this question of like how do I stop feeling anxiety or well, the answer is it's going to take some practice. Yeah, and a, and a counselor might be a great guide because what they've been trained in doing is what kind of practices they become a a coach uh-huh. on how to implement certain practices in your life so that eventually, with enough practice, you start to rewire your system and your body and your mind to then live a less anxious and life. And that, that's what makes the way of Jesus so compelling. And I can't remember if we talked about this last week, like. I was reading an Elon Musk's Twitter feed the other day. He said, he said about like that the amygdala response, the fight and flight response is so powerful. That's what makes turning the other cheek such a compelling, uh, compelling possibility. The fact that should be physiologically impossible to do. Someone strikes you, you should hit them back or you should run away to be able to not do either of those things, which is the way of Jesus is almost impossible. And yet, like the practice of following Jesus, the, the the empowering of his spirit incredibly enables us to do that very thing. Incredibly, the same thing can empower us to leave behind anxiety. And I would argue that is what it means to be human. Because mm. the, the, the fight or flight response, it's more of that animalistic side yeah, yeah, of yeah. who we are as creatures. Mm. And then there's... But there's something beyond that. And that's a unique thing to being human. There is this prefrontal cortex, which Mm -hmm. which allows us to actually engage in a question beyond the physical reactions of our bodies Mm. and say, wait, what's the right thing to do? And Jesus, and uh, and Jesus, C.S. Lewis, who to some people, that's the same thing. Um, (laughs) Ooh, I hope Some evangelicals. I mean, I like, uh, I like me some C.S. Lewis, but there are some people that I'm like, wow, I'm not sure who you follow. But, but he said years ago, like that's a distinctly human trait as well. That the image of God allows us like an animal looks at another animal in danger and it fights between herd instinct and self-preservation and whichever one wins, wins. It either runs away or it helps its its friend. Human beings uniquely are able to look at that situation and say, I want to run away. My herd instinct isn't strong enough, but I know that the right thing to do is to help that person. And they're able to make that moral choice, which no, no other species is able to make. Um, we're enabled to say almost like the classic, what would Jesus do in this situation? Yeah. Uh, which I, is fascinating. I'm like hesitant to even show this because I'm probably going to use it in my sermon. So ah, ah, spoiler alert. Spoiler, but, yeah, yeah. but I think that in, in light of the subject matter, we'll just show this a little bit. And then there's, um, but there's something beyond that. This is some of what's going on to being human. with, with your, so there's this cortex with bottom section here. I don't know if you can see my mouse. Yeah, you can. Um, this survival state it's the brain stem it's that more animalistic side some some psychologists um call this the like the lizard brain you know it's like um anyway it's that survival state Uh, i need food i need to get away from dangerous things i need to so on and so forth and then there's this state i love the way that this is worded 
this emotional state, the limbic system, is am I loved? Am I loved? Yeah, wow. And then the executive state is uh, the prefrontal lobes. What can I learn from this? So wait, are they saying that that stuff at the back, that white stuff, just does nothing? I don't know. That's well, a great question. they not figured that part out. Yeah, they're just like, wait. I'm like, huh. All right, you just looking not. at a diagram is about as far as I've gone into brain science here. So don't start asking me like, what's all this stuff back here? What's those prefrontal lobes that they, as I understand it, they develop late, and so that like, that's why teenagers do stupid things. Yeah. Um, because they're still, those prefrontal lobes are still developing. And they used to say that that happened when you were like, went through adolescence at maybe 16, something like that. And, and then later they came to say, no, it's more like 25 that you finally have that. When so it's fully solidified, I, again, yeah. like I, I stupidly, again, wasn't good at marriage at this point. Uh, would When we were getting into arguments when Laura and I were first married, she was still under that age and be like, well, your, your frontal lobes still aren't developed, are they? Like, they just, you, you can't possibly understand. I've never done something uh, like that in my marriage. <laughs> said anything but you guys like... are the same age, whereas we have this age gap that enables me to, <laughs> to live into that. But, but I, I think the counter argument would be a 19-year-old female has about the same development in prefrontal lobes as a 25-year-old male. <laughs> like, or maybe a 45-year-old male. <laughs> so I, th I think... Um, but but there there is that development of that piece, which really has this potential to govern some of those other things that are more like base animalistic stuff, which is fascinating. Totally, I actually had a counselor once tell me, uh, a Christian counselor once tell me, I he said, I believe that part of the image of God, the Imago Dei, is hmm. the prefrontal cortex. Wow, that, that, he that says the way of Jesus. All of the invitations of Jesus seem to be governed by that system mm. in the brain i was like okay like i'm not the psychologist i'm he just said i, I mean he's like he's like i'm not gonna burn any bridges or like um die on a like hill over die there. on a hill on it or write a book about it or something like that he said but i've just noticed that a, a lot of the commands of jesus a lot of the invitations mm. of the way of jesus are all governed by that space and so part of he says part of my job is to train people how to move further and further mm -hmm. into living more of their life mm -hmm. from the prefrontal cortex in this and the um the limbic system where it's about the engaging healthily between the emotional mm -hmm. state and the uh prefrontal cortex it's fascinating i was like and again that, i'm not gonna yeah write a book either but but that's why so much of like the work great counselors do with us like is around like conversation are you communicating are you developing these emotions into thoughts and all those different things and sharing them with others. Uh, I, I gave people three sort of takeaways that just I think it would be helpful to reiterate. Totally. Like, uh, again, anxiety, it's not just don't try and do it, but there is this connection to that with, with a good conversation with God specifically. It is make your prayers and requests. Like, that's the spiritual aspect that we are actually qualified to talk about more than some of the psychological... Yeah, this whole show, we've yeah, talked about, about childbearing yeah, yeah, yeah. and psychology, and, and, and neuroscience. And as pastors, we're now going to land back in our sweet spot. <laughs> um, it, it is that that thing that Jesus does in the garden of, of a conversation around um, what he is feeling, what he is concerned about, fearful of which is incredible to watch Jesus in that place of fear and anxiety uh, and to be able to have him say, you know, no, this is, this is what I'm experiencing in conversation with his father. And then that incredible step, like he, he does these things, he acknowledges the fear, he expresses the hope of, could there be a different way? 
Um, but then beautifully, he does have this moment where he abandons the, the sense of what the outcome should be. He gives it over to God, which is a surrender piece, which we rarely do. And a, a lady that comes to South came up to me after the service and she talked about going through a time of uh, of sickness and stuff. And she said, like, she showed me that the, the, the sort of the mantra that she'd had, uh, which was was really like absolute surrender. It was giving it over. And, and I, in prayer, always want to like advocate for the ad- outcome I want. I'm always like, God, this is this is my hope. I surrender, but let me give you a list of yeah. ideas. I, I don't even know if I get as far as surrender. I'm like, <laughs> here's the, the here's the hope. The good outcome of prayer is that you do the things on this list. Hmm. Um, and, and that isn't Jesus' way, at least around the cross. It is, Father, is this your will? And then it's, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to step into that. And, and interestingly, when we believe that we're in God's will, somewhere the anxiety starts to disappear. Um, mm. that, that's at least the, the, the spiritual theory. Like this, that, That's the map. That's the roadway. There's this moment where we say, okay, God, you know, the things that I think are the worst things are not always the worst things. Hmm. Death is not the last thing. It's just the thing before the last thing, um, which is eternity in your presence. There's that moment of starting to surrender some of those things and saying, God, like, okay, you're going to leave me where I need to get to. Uh, and yeah. I'm going to, again, like that's the moment where hopefully Elena turns around to me and says, I can sleep because I know that you're present and I know that I'm going to be okay. Now she didn't do that, mm. but you know, eventually, yeah, room to grow. Yeah, yeah it turns yeah, exactly. out a ten-year-old has. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's still room. To grow. But that, but that is the that is the Jesus way. It seems totally. to keep bringing those senses of fear, keep bringing the hopes, but also to abandon the sense of no. I know what this should look like. That's good. That's good. Any other final words? Mm-mm. Before I, so. I try and broach another, we could talk about underwater basket weaving. I'm not an expert in that, but uh, I, uh, I could I talk am. about it. Um, you are. All right, perfect. We could talk about what other some whether what are some other fields of study that we things that we just not qualified in. Yeah, we, we've ventured, pod, we've podcasting. hovered, <laughs> we've hovered around all these subjects that yeah, we don't yeah. really. Yeah, just, uh, awesome. Well, if you are out there, this has been helpful to you. Please share, uh, like, comment, that sort of thing. It really helps algorithms and all that stuff. This, this is just stuff I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Um, you, and uh, we would love to hear from you. So the best way to do that is to put comments in uh, below this video. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you found a, a practice that's been really, really helpful for you to deal with anxiety or you want to tell a story about that, um, whatever, uh, we we'd love to read those and, and ideas of like what we could do, which might be different. Like, because we're about to move into this new series of Easter Tide. After Easter, we'll follow like step by step with some of Jesus' post-resurrection uh, experience encounters. Um, how he moves some of the early followers' stories onward, because we tend to think about resurrection as this moment where everything's fixed, and what we see is a bunch of people that after resurrection still seem stuck. Like they're they're not quite getting it still, and Jesus comes along in this journey through to Pentecost. He's like, okay, gonna unpick some of this. We're gonna work on this. We're gonna figure out this. Um, we 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 get to follow along with that. But there's also probably some space in that for us to deal with. Just maybe some other questions, some other things, topics that we we might want to talk about that we're not qualified to talk about. Awesome. <laughs> see you guys. All right, catch y'all later. Let's see if I can figure out how to shut this off with. Siri, shut it all off.
Shut it all off. Nope. I'm I logged out of the tool that I need to be in in order to shut this off. So we'll see. Current view broadcast and bye.